welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jeremiah. If you don't have a Bible and want one, follow the black light in the back. Um, we're in a series called Eat This Book. We've been here for a couple of months now. And we've typically started with kind of the same refrain each day or each time we get together, which is essentially me kind of going over where we've been and sort of the big um, ideas or the stops along the way. The hope is at the end of the series, you can do this for yourself. So pop quiz hot shot. Here's your, anybody remember what movies that's from? Speed. Yes. Love it. Dennis Hopper, Kinu. You can see it, right? So, um, pop quiz. So, here's what I love. Collectively, I have every belief, every every uh, c- you know conviction that, that you're going to get this, and you can do this together. So, uh, the big events that we have studied through the scripture in the narrative, we're, we, we just studied Isaiah last week, so we're not past that yet. Uh, but, of course, if you're going to start somewhere, you start in the, beginning. in the beginning. Thank you, which is the story of creation. So, I'll give you that one. And moving from there, the next big piece of this story is uh, found in the book of, um, well, it's Genesis chapter 12. Does anybody remember this story? I heard somebody say it. Abraham, Father Abraham, I am one of them. Or Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them. Yeah, Father, yeah, Abraham, this is the beginning of Israel, Genesis chapter 12. God calls this group of people out of, uh, well, out of Ur, which is where Abraham and his father, Abram, and his, and his family was from, creates this new nation. So we've got creation, Abraham, then what? If we skipped, skip, Jacob and Joseph were in here, definitely. Next big event begins with the next book of the Bible. Exodus, very good, very good. So the story of the Exodus, the people of God are found in Egypt, in exile, and Moses comes, delivers them, takes them out of Egypt and into, what? There it is, the land, yeah, well, wandering for a while, but eventually they make their way to the promised land, which is the land of Canaan, where the, you know, flows like with milk and honey, insert dumb and dumber, no, <coughs> the wine flows like milk and I'm sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Keep going. So they're in the land, and then uh, the next large event is there's also a book. Uh, God sends these people to the, to the Israelites, and it is the... Thank you, the judges. Very good. The judges. This is, this is about 12, 12 different people are sent to Israel. They're, they serve this back and forth. They live faithful. They kind of fall away. The judges come. They live faithful, fall away, over and over and over again. <clears throat> Until you get to the point where Israel begins asking for something that their neighbors all have. Kings, right? So we get the story of the kings and the first king of Israel, King Saul, his three sons, and then the dividing of the kingdoms, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, until we get to um, this section that we're in right now, which is the prophets. Very good. So this is the large scope sequence. Creation, nation of Israel, exodus, into the land, judges come, kings and now the prophets, who are really, and, and we talked about this last week a little bit, the prophets are covenant watchdogs. So if God has made a covenant with Abraham or Abraham, and uh, this group of people are to live a particular way in the land, and they've asked for kings, and they've asked, and, and God has sent judges, and they're asking for kings, the prophets are really about, are, is Israel living up to what they're supposed to be living into, this covenant that they've made with Yahweh? And so the prophets are constantly saying, Here's a mirror, here's a mirror, here's a mirror. Who's here, here's who we are, here's what God has asked us to be. And so the prophets are constantly saying the same message throughout the period of the kings. And this is like 10, 
70 or so until about five, uh, mid 500. So it's about five, four, 500 years of the time of the kings in Israel. So Jeremiah, who is Jeremiah specifically? Jeremiah prophesied for about 40 years, almost exactly 40 years. And if you've been following along with this study, 40 is an important number. Often something is dying, something is being born, something big is happening. Ironically enough, Jeremiah prophesies for 40 years. He's, he's prophesying mostly to the southern kingdom, which is Judah. There's two tribes of the, of the 12, two in the south, 10 in the north. So he's prophesying to Judah, and he prophesies during the time of a king named Josiah. Josiah was one of the youngest kings in all of Israel. He's actually about uh, 13 or so. Very young, young boy, he, he takes the throne. And the scriptures tell us that there are a number of kings in Israel. Most of them are horrific, they're bad, uh, and this is why the prophets come. But there are a few good ones, and Josiah happens to be one of them. Uh, there's a story, his, his story is told in Deuteronomy, and... Uh, there's uh, a bunch of reforms. Josiah essentially becomes a reformer in and through the nation of Israel and essentially tears down the high places where this kind of idol worship is happening and he brings the worship of Yahweh back to Israel and back to Jerusalem, specifically back to the temple. Jeremiah prophesies about the same time and we find throughout the book of Jeremiah that he more often than not agrees with Josiah's reforms. Josiah, he made a big splash um, and some people hated him. Some people thought it's what Israel needed. Jeremiah tends to side with Josiah in this kind of reforming nature of, of uh, or this reforming message to God's people. Isaiah and Jeremiah become the two kind of pillars or the two bookends, the capstones of the prophets of Israel. Two who have written the most, but also two of kind of the most significant prophets in all of Israel. <clears throat> so that's Jeremiah. Um, we're going to start in chapter 6, verse 16. And really, this is kind of a, a small section of scripture that really t paints the picture for most of the prophetic uh, messages and the prophets themselves. So starting in verse 16, he says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Asks wh ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet, but you said, we will not listen. Sounds like a six-year-old. Uh, Therefore, hear you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices do not please me. Pray with me if you would. God, as we open up your story and these scriptures once again, um, may, it, may it be different for us. God, that we might heed your word, that we might listen, that we might tune our hearts to the sound of your voice. And God, that we might be people for whom the worship that happens in this space is pleasing. It's, it's because it's connected to a heart that is longing for you and follows you. That it's not divorce, that it's not ritual, that it's not religion, that it's not something we think we ought to do, but that it's an expression of who we are and our heart's desires. And God, as we do that, may you join us by your spirit. Would you be present? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, Awaken, is, this is the name of our church. It's right over here on the right. If you're in the wrong class, you might want to just scoot to the, out the hallway, down the right, and no one will think less of you. 
So this is the name of our church. It's called Awaken. And as you uh, begin new churches, um, if you do this, you would find out that a lot of people ask a very similar question. And the question is this. What kind of church is Awaken going to be? What's the vision of Awaken? Can you tell me about the vision of your church? I remember sitting in the, the, with the elders at the church that uh, helped plant us, Brian, and uh, they said, so Micah, what's the vision of Awaken going to be? What kind of church do you want to be? It's a valid question, and I've spent a lot, a lot of time thinking and praying through that. A lot of, you know, I've shared a bit about the answer, or at least my take on that question. And as I began to study for this week, I, th- I started thinking to myself, I wonder if we're not putting the apple, be- or the cart before the horse. Is that what it is? The cart before the horse? The apple before the cart? We're waiting for the shoe to drop, fall. Uh, what, what is that phrase? We're waiting for the other shoe to fall. I think I said something. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop off to my wife yesterday, and she's like, that's not how that goes. Um, So, cart before the horse. I wonder if that question doesn't put the cart before the horse a little bit. Because here's the deal. You can talk all you want about the kind of church that we want Awaken to be. You know, we want it to be one that's, you know, filled with grace and love, and we want it to be one that's involved in our community. We want it to be one that's, you know, uh, representing the name of Jesus in our world in a way that's, um, you know, honors what Jesus has done and said. And we can do all of those things, but the bottom line is that in order for us to become the kind of church that we think Jesus wants us to be, it takes you and it takes me. So the question I want to ask this morning is what kind of people are necessary to become the kind of church that Jesus would want? What kind of journeys do we need to be on? What kind of people do we need to be becoming? Or what are the character qualities that we need to possess in order to become the kind of church that we might want? And literally, we could go, like, spend a day and fill up a whiteboard and all that deal. I want to look at the book of Jeremiah from that perspective. You read the story of Jeremiah, and from my, as I read it, there's some character qualities that really rise up to the surface that I think begin to play into this question of what kind of people do we want to become to become the church that we think Jesus ought to be. And so, if last week, if you were here last week, it was a bit idea, it was, it was an idea teaching. We talked about imagination and how that forms, or how important that is in spiritual formation. If that was, you know, a little esoteric and kind of ideological, this is like brass tacks. What kind of people, what kind of character qualities are necessary? And as I read Jeremiah, there's a few things that kind of rise to the surface. So I want to just highlight a couple of those. And we'll do that just by looking at a couple of different passages. This is a long book. Uh, The challenge of a series like this is where do you begin? Where do you start? And so some, you know, somebody else might start in a different place, but this is what... Um, I've found that when I teach, I just follow what's alive. Whatever has a pulse, I just follow it. And this is where, we've, this is where we end up. Um, so let's start in chapter 15, if you will. Chapter 15, verse 17, says this. Jeremiah says, I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me, and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable. You are to me, he's speaking to God by the way, you are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Skip to chapter 20, verse 7. Again, he says to the Lord, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. Some of your translations might say, you enticed me and I was enticed. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak out, Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. 
By the way, you, I think we could spend a whole morning on, you deceived me, Lord. Anybody ever felt like that? Come on now. <clears throat> if, I could, if, I, if I could begin, I want to say that what we find in Jeremiah is a brutal honesty and authenticity that at times is very in-your-face and, and upfront, but I find it to be incredibly refreshing and quite startling. Jeremiah never coats what he's talking about. He never candy coats it. He never politically correctizes it. He just says it like it is. And I like this guy for that reason. Um, he, when he speaks to God, he just gives it to him. He's speaking to God here. He's like, listen, you asked me to do this. And it's like, all I felt is pain the whole time. What gives? When he speaks to God, he just lays it out there. When he speaks to the people of Israel, he is brutally honest. Often and, and we could go through you know text after text where it's like jeepers like that's pretty hardcore that's harsh, but I want to suggest that part of being God's people, part of following Jesus, ought to include or be rooted in an increasing amount of authenticity and honesty in our lives. I remember um, being at a church, very formative moment for me as a young pastor. I've been doing this like 13 years now. And I remember sitting in a room and we were discussing uh, something that had happened at our church. Uh, some people were all bent out of shape about it. It was the first church this has ever happened, gang. I mean, it was like, what? we made the news for this one. Like, people were bent out of shape. They were angry. They were making a ruckus. And so and in our staff meeting that week, we were gathered around and we're talking about, like, how do we handle this? Like, what do we do? You know, should we have a special meeting? Should we do this? Should we da-da-da-da? And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I'm... I'm never, I've, I've never been one to shy away from just kind of laying it out there and saying what I think. And so I sat there thinking, the answer seems pretty easy to me, gang. I didn't say that. I, 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 I tweaked it a little bit, and I said, you know, I, I don't, maybe I'm naive, but um, what if you just talked about it? Like on a Sunday morning in church with the people. Like what if you just preached that, whatever the issue was? And what if, what if you just, like we had made a, or some people had said, uh, I would agree uh, in this case, we had, you know, made a bad call and something, made a, made a mistake, and I said, what if you just said you're sorry and asked the people to forgive us as a leadership team? And it was like I had grown another head. You know, you guys remember the show on Nickelodeon, You Can't Do That on Television? Do you remember that? I, the, the words that I heard were, well, you can't do that. And I remember thinking, oh, man, that's a bad day. You know, like, we're the church. We're the people who follow Jesus, the one who forgives and offers grace and mercy, the one who, like, we can't do that. And I just, I thought, if I could ever be a part of a church, uh, I, I would want it to be one that's honest and authentic about life together. Because, gang, listen, listen. if you take notes, if you don't, I don't care, but write this down. Okay? Some point along the way, if you stick around long enough, I will disappoint you. So will the leadership team, so will Ben, so will Toph. I will disappoint you. And you will disappoint me. And we will figure out how to love one another and forgive one another and follow Jesus together. That's what church does. But I will, I will disappoint you. I'll probably make you angry. When we were thinking about planting this church, there was uh, one particular couple that we valued their opinion uh, a great deal, and so we sat down with them, and 
and uh, <clears throat> said, you know, what do you think of this idea, and what do you think, you know, what do you think? And uh, the wife of this uh, couple said, um, I think people will be drawn to Awaken because it's authentic. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what that will feel like. And if I could draw, if I could, if I could show you or, or replay the stories of people who have found this community, uh, ironically enough, one of the words that comes up the most is that uh, Awaken feels authentic. It feels real. And it's less about anything that we've done, and it's everything about what God is doing in this community. But I want to suggest, as I read Jeremiah, that in order to become the kind of church we want to be, we need, to be, we need the Holy Spirit to change us, transform us, mold us into people that appropriately, of course, you've all been in that situation, right, where somebody says something and you're like, whoa, a little too much information for this setting, right? Not that, but appropriately where we're honest and where we're authentic, where our insides match our outsides, right? Like, shouldn't the church be that kind of a setting, where there's not masks, where there's not games that are played, but where people are authentic and real. And I find this to be refreshing in Jeremiah. I actually, when thinking about the prophets, and if, if, if I thought about doing a teaching called I'm Sorry, like just the ability to say I'm sorry, uh, might be a good one. We may come back to that someday. So uh, certainly uh, honest and authentic. Turn to chapter 18, verses, uh, we'll start in verse 18, but i uh, something else that kind of rises from the story of Jeremiah is this, just this courageous, like, unwillingness to bend amidst adversity and, and really terrible situations. Uh, this is just one section, verse 18 of chapter 18. They said, come, let's make plans against Jeremiah, for the teaching of the law by the priest will not cease, nor will the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophets. So come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Listen to me, Lord. This is Jeremiah speaking. Hear, my, hear what my accusers are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for me. Remember, I stood before you and I spoke on their behalf to turn your wrath away from them. If you read the story of Jeremiah, you will find that before the story is over, his family members, uh, the, the people, his spiritual community, the religious institution, the people in power, uh, the people who, uh, who have things to say in Israel... Almost everybody, by the end of it, has stabbed him in the back, turned on him, uh, walked out on him, or hurt him, or is, is actively speaking against Jeremiah, and he often finds himself standing alone. And I would suggest that Jeremiah displays an unbelievable amount of courage, that in the midst of people who you care about saying things that might be hurtful to, the, to you, to be convicted, to, to stand in your conviction about who you are and who God has made you to be and who God has called you to be. For Jeremiah, he knew it was this calling. He, in the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, he's told, you're going to go to these people and you're going to prophesy to them and they won't listen. They will not listen, they will not repent, but go anyways and, and preach to the, give them this message. Like, that's a bad Monday morning, right? Like, here's the deal. Here's your marching orders. Go talk to these people. Prophesy. Tell them to repent. Tell them to follow the Lord. Tell them to turn their hearts. Tell them not to be so calloused. And they will not listen to you. They will persecute you. They will drive you. They will attempt to drive you. They will attempt to kill you. That's it? That's the message? That's what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Okie dokie. That's what he does. 
I wonder if there's anybody in the room who has experienced a moment where they felt alone, where they felt walked out on, where they have felt disowned, where they have felt betrayed, where they have felt like they've been stabbed in the back by somebody who cares about them, by somebody who thought that they had their best interest at heart. Or maybe we should just go on to the next point. I see an incredible amount of courage in Jeremiah. And I think it's tied to the fact that he he knows who he is. He knows his name. And he knows just beyond a shadow of a doubt who God has made him and called him to be. And in that place, he just stands. And what does it mean to be a people or a person who is learning and understanding who it is that God has made you and called you to be so that when it happens, not if, but when it happens, you're grounded and rooted in something that remains. For me, that's a great deal of encouragement from Jeremiah. Honest, authentic courage. Uh, If I could say another thing, I would say sensitive, compassionate. I find it fascinating. I find it very interesting that Jeremiah's message, Jeremiah's message to the people that he's sent to is, is one of terror. I mean, it is just bad news on every front. And he goes to these people and he says, listen, you are, the people of God have turned away. You, you've, you're, there's idolatry. There's all these horrible things, economic injustice, social injustice, all these things that the people of God are not supposed to be. And yet, we find Jeremiah, look at chapter 14, verse 14. Excuse me, verse uh, 17. Speak this word to them. Let my eyes overflow with tears night and day without ceasing. For the virgin daughter, my people, have suffered a grievous wound, a crushing blow. Skip to chapter, or verse 20 and 21. We acknowledge our wickedness, Lord, and, have, and the guilt of our ancestors, and have indeed sinned against you. For the sake of your name, do not despise us, do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember your covenant with us, and do not break it. Do not let any, do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain to the skies themselves, send down showers. So imagine yourself, imagine that you're Jeremiah and you've been given this message and so you go before the people and on behalf of Yahweh you say these things. There's idolatry, there's spiritual, you've wandered, your hearts are calloused, all these things. And then, it, this is what I find so fascinating about Jeremiah. Amidst this message to these people who are the problem, who are the root of the sin and the brokenness and the evil. Like, they're the ones. Jeremiah has this unbelievable capacity to not sit away from them, detached from them, but actually, did you notice what he says? Our sin, our wickedness, our us, we. He puts himself in this camp. And somehow, amidst his message that he's been given to God, he remains soft. And he weeps for these people. Over and over and over again. If anybody, if, if you study Jeremiah, you'll find people call him again and again the weeping prophet because he's found weeping on behalf of the people. I think it's easy sometimes to be a person who looks out at the world and notices all the things that are wrong with it and then becomes a bit hardened, callous, angry towards the folks who are involved in the wrong and the darkness and the brokenness. The critics of Christians would say that that's often what the church is doing and has done. And yet Jeremiah somehow doesn't allow himself to be removed from the problem, but recognizes his own place in it. 
and has a heart of compassion and a heart of care and sensitivity for these people to the degree that he's found weeping for them again and again and again and again. How do we, how, how does Jeremiah do, how do we become people whose hearts are soft enough that when we see brokenness and when we experience brokenness, it makes us weep. It doesn't make us point fingers and judge. I think Jeremiah certainly shows us, but never forget where you've come from. Don't forget that we, all of us, participate in this. This is why communion for me is so important. We come and we participate in this thing and we remember that my grandma used to say, but, there, there, uh, but for the grace of God, there go I, right? Sufjan Stevens says it in a song. Like, the worst in that, and the worst in them, right? Because every war needs a them. The worst in them is actually the worst in me. Like, that's, the root of that, whatever that grew into, is present in me. How do we not become people who don't stand back and point fingers and judge? Don't forget where we've come from. And, and I, and I want to I throw out there, can we become people who walk a mile in somebody else's shoes? Like, what would it look like for a church to be people who are seeking to understand? First and foremost, not pointing fingers, not offering thoughts about, you know, the waywardness of someone else and what the the scriptures teach on that, but first and foremost, to represent Jesus in a way that we seek to understand first. I think that would be pretty compelling. Is there a place and a time for the people of God to challenge one another and exhort one another and encourage one another to live into who God's called us to be? Yes. It's called deep, trusting, authentic relationship and friendship. Outside of that, be quiet and love. Just stop talking. Outside of relationship and friendship where there is trust, where there is a bridge that will bear the weight of hard conversations... Can we just stop talking and love people and trust that God is doing what God will do? I wonder what that would look like. And I, I, wonder, what, I wonder what that would do. Uh, I, I pray often that I, that we, would become people who seek to understand um, who, who actually have the capacity to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, to see it how they see it, before we say anything, because I think that that would, uh, that would speak volumes about who and what Jesus is and does and did. Sensitivity, compassion, Jeremiah, honesty, courageous, uh, this compassionate, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll guess I'll just end with this. Chapter 31. Jeremiah's message is really depressing. If you read the whole book, I would encourage you to take it in chunks, not the whole thing in one day, especially not on a Monday. It's, it's depressing. It is bad news over and over and over again. But there are these just glimmers. Every now and again, you get this like blinking beacon of hope. Chapter 31, verse 27 says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the kingdoms of Israel and Judah... So the, uh, uh, the, the kingdoms that have been divided, I will plant these kingdoms 
with the offspring of people and of animals, just as I watch them uproot and tear down and to overthrow and destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Skip down to verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah, amidst a very, very ominous and depressing message, hangs his life on this promise. God says, listen, here's how it's going to go. You're going to go to these people. You're going to preach to them. You're going to ask them to repent. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to send you away. They're not going to repent, and they're going to go into exile. And in 587, right up to the point where Jeremiah stops prophesying, that's exactly what happens. Babylon Babylon comes in. They destroy the temple. They take all the people back into captivity. But before that happens, God gives this this message to Jeremiah of hope. I will make a new covenant, and out out of destruction and desolation, I will grow a new kind of garden, a new kind of people. I always, I've often said that your, act, your belief is cloaked in your actions. You can say well, you believe whatever you want, but what you believe will manifest itself in your actions, the way you live your life, the way you treat your neighbor, the way you treat your friends, your family, your kids. So what do you believe? Well, what do you do? Jeremiah, to the degree that he takes his own money his own reputation. Exile is imminent. It is like on the doorstep for Israel. And he takes his own money in chapter 32 and he buys land in Israel. Think about that. You know that another country, another superpower is going to come in and take over your kill. I mean, send your people into exile and captivity. But you have this one promise from Yahweh that I will build a new, I will make a new covenant. This is not the end. You have this one promise. The question is, do you believe that? That God is going to do a new thing, that God is not finished here. And Jeremiah, I love it. He is just filled with hope and with trust to the degree that he buys land in Israel before they go into exile because he, he believes that one day God will restore them and that this land will be theirs. It will be his. Now to me, I'm a theological nerd. I love this kind of stuff. And to me, I mean, there's just all kinds of things going on there. But I want to just offer this challenge or thought this morning as we close. As far away as that story is, and that idea of exile is, is coming to the Israelite people and Jeremiah believes that God has promised something in the future that is not real yet. He takes his own life, his resources, his reputation, and he acts upon it and he buys a field that doesn't even exist yet in a land that's about to be taken over by the enemy. And his actions manifest the depth of his belief that God will be true to God's word. And so I wonder this morning if there's anything there for us. Do we believe that God will do what God said?
which is to redeem and restore and recreate, to take back God's good creation in and through the life, the death, the resurrection of this Jesus. Do we believe that? Will we stake our lives on it to the degree that our actions and our resources and our lives manifest our belief in that truth? I mean, that's what is here for us every week. Do we believe that Jesus was Jesus? Do we believe that God's promise that you are not alone is true? I'm going to ask Ben to come and uh, we're going to close with one song together. And uh, we started with this question of what kind of people do we need to become? And I recognize that this story of Jeremiah, there's all kinds of things that might surface from it. And I picked a couple. But I want to just honor and I want to act on my belief that the Spirit of God is present when we gather and just give you, some, give you a, a moment to think, to pray, to contemplate. And maybe ask the question of God, what kind of person are you inviting me to be? If Jesus is the end, if that's who I follow and this is who I am, then God, what are the things that are, what is the thing that you want to illuminate? And uh, I think oftentimes that's a very scary moment when our hearts are illuminated. But I want to encourage you to have the courage to just stand there and be in that, whatever that is for you. So let me pray and then uh, just offer a time of reflection. Then we'll close with a song. God, as we enter this time where uh, we want to open ourselves up to you and who you are and who you've called us to be, we recognize that it takes individuals to create a community that tells the story of Jesus. And uh, God, each one of us has a part in that. And each one of us has our own fears and our own stories and our own issues, challenges, things that we just can't seem to shake. And so God, I pray that in these next moments that your Holy Spirit would uh, draw us near to you. Because when we get close to you, changed. So God, would you do that for each of us? Whether it's something that was said today or something that you're doing, would you just make that clear for each of us? Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter Play with the community. See you next time.